You're listening to audio from the Regenerate Podcast, a ministry of River City Church in Lewiston, Idaho. For more information about Regenerate, visit rivercitychurch.us. And God ordained it to be a part of Scripture. It was God-breathed, and God uses it as Scripture. And so it's different when, if you look at 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to a church, right, a group of people. So he's going to address the people, but he's addressing Titus, a single person, a singular person, and he's writing more more intimately, more relationally, because that was the point of the letter, right? I, I, if I wrote a letter to my wife, I would hope, dear God, no one would read it. But especially, like, for ages and ages, people read it again and again and again, right? So there's, there's language and there's even topics or, or things that Paul is writing to Titus that we have to understand are more intimate in nature because it's a personal letter. If you want to read other personal letters, you look at First and Second Timothy or Philemon, and there actually there's a lot of similar themes. There's a lot of similar things that Paul discusses in First and Second Timothy that he does in Titus. Okay, and the second thing that we have to know, so we know Paul is writing it as a disciple-maker to his disciple. So who is Paul writing it to? Titus. Hence the name of the book, right? I just learned this on Sunday. Do you know why Paul's letters are placed, what order they're placed in in the Bible? It's not like of importance. It's about length. The longer the book, or the longer the letter, they came first. That's the only reason they're in that order. There you go. You can write that down so you seem like you're smart. Um, Titus. What what is important about Titus? Well, Titus. Um, many believe that Titus is with Paul on his third missionary journey, even though that's not recorded in Acts. So Titus's name isn't in Acts at all, but we believe that Titus is with Paul, and we also believe that. Titus brings Corinth, the second letter that Paul wrote to them. And if you've ever read 2 Corinthians, it's a pretty harsh letter. So that means that Paul really trusts Titus, but also, like, Titus can hold his own. You don't send a wimp to take a really harsh letter to somebody, right? You send someone that you trust, who is strong, who is courageous. But it also, like, Paul is worried about Titus after he gives the letter to the Corinthians, so he's searching and seeking out him. And then they find him and he's beautiful and he's happy. Titus is a Gentile. This is also very important, especially when we look at the text that we're looking at. But he's not just a Gentile. Titus is a Gentile that we see in Galatians 2.3 that God did not compel Titus to be circumcised. And that was an act accepted by Paul. So... Uh, if Timothy was circumcised, but Timothy was working mostly with Jewish people, and Titus, we find out, is he's a pastor, he's a leader in Crete, and Crete was full of Gentiles, so God doesn't compel Titus to be circumcised, and Titus isn't because he is among uncircumcised Gentiles. That's all very, very, very important as we look at the scripture we're going to look at tonight. So I hope you kind of understand a little bit of the soup we're swimming in tonight. See the noodles, the chicken chunks. Okay. Hopefully that was reviewed. Let's let's pray. 
Jesus, I ask that you would be in this place. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. My words are actually nothing without your anointing, without your presence, without your power. So we ask that you would show up and do what only you can do. God, I pray that our hearts, as we receive this, would be tilled and ready for your word, that we would be good soil that bears fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I know Sam makes you do this, so why don't you stand up as we read God's word. It's on the screen. This is Titus 2, 11 through 15 in the NIV. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us all from wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. That's the word of the Lord. You can sit down. So I want to first look at the very, very first word of our text, for. In the letter to Titus, this is a turning point. This is a turning point in Paul's discipleship of Titus. Up to this point, Paul has been addressing some ethical demands, some moral issues that he wants Titus to focus on. But now he's introducing the doctrinal basis, the theological basis, the why of what he's asked Titus to do. So what he's saying is the reason why it's important for all the things that I told you older men are supposed to be doing, older women, younger men, younger women, slaves, masters, it's not just to be good and decent human beings. That's the important thing is that He's showing Titus that it's not just a list to show that you're a good person. Because really, this four is what, what is the difference between Christianity and all other religions. There's a lot of religions that teach us how to be good people, right? There's a lot of teachings and a lot of ways of living that teach you how to be a decent human being. And so if... If Paul left Titus with just that list of chapter 2 on and, and doesn't address this reason, all he's done is given Titus a new way of living that's just human effort. But this 4 says, why, why should Titus be interested in that moral issue? Is for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It's for grace. It's grace that actually compels us and, and empowers us and encourages us to live in the way that Paul has been entrusting into Titus to, to lead people. Grace offers us salvation. It saves us, but it doesn't just end us there. There's things to do. He's echoing his doctrinal statements made to the church in Rome. If you want to know like basic doctrine, just read the book of Romans. 
It's full of Paul's doctrine. If you want to know what Paul's doctrine is on grace, you can read Romans 3.24, 4.16, 5.21, And here's the beautiful thing, is we have the complete Bible. We can do this. We can flip back a couple pages and look at Romans. But Titus didn't have that opportunity. Right? Titus probably never saw the letter to the Romans. He wasn't given that. He was given this letter. So what Paul is saying is very important. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Titus has to understand and get it from just that one statement. That's why we are dependent on the Holy Spirit. That's why the Word of God is living and active. Because if, if I was given this letter and I didn't have the complete Bible, I may get confused. I may not understand it. So thank God that we live in the day and age that we live now, or even our phones have the Word of God in them. And the Internet actually helps us study God's Word. Even though it's full of junk, it's also full of life. It's pretty amazing. But like I said, Paul has been teaching Titus what to do. And now he has turned into the why. Why should you do what I've been telling you to do? He says, for, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. I want to suggests that the grace of God that has appeared, is he's, he's mentioning Jesus. We can see Jesus in that first statement. How did God appear to us in grace? Well, in the person of Jesus. And Jesus offers salvation to all people. This is really where it's important to understand the context, the soup that we're swimming in. Salvation for all people. Paul is saying to Titus, hey, remember, even as a Gentile, even as an uncircumcised Gentile, salvation is for you. Because there was a lot of thought that salvation wasn't for the Gentiles. There was a lot of thought, a lot of teaching, a lot of practices that said that you had to be Jewish for salvation to be for you. And Paul is reminding Titus, hey, no, no, no. Salvation is for you. Salvation is for your people. The, the city of Crete is known as a, a Gentile city. Most likely, the church that Titus is working within is full of Gentiles. There might not have even been any Jews because they have a Gentile leader. Paul also echoes this idea that salvation is for all people. In Galatians 3.28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, there is no nor is there male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus and this is where there's tension in the kingdom of God even as believers I've been learning a lot about tension uh, in my study in seminary in my school because there are ways of thinking in the Christian walk that would say well salvation is for some people the elect. There's other ways of thinking that say, well, no, this means salvation is for everybody. And so we get to, we get a choice. Do we fill the box over here? Say, no, this is what it means. Salvation is for these people. Do 
Do we build a box over here and say, no, this means salvation is for all people? Or do we get to live in this place? And this is where I find myself living. Tension. Where God could mean the elect. Where God could mean all people. But I think what's really important in this context, in this scripture, in this place, is to remember that Titus is a Gentile, an uncircumcised Gentile, and his disciple, his the person he's being discipled by is reminding him salvation is for him. We could build a box and put salvation in there and try to fit people within that box. But what Paul is saying is actually when you build a box and people get left outside of it, they need to be reminded that salvation is for them. Salvation is for all people. And it's not because of anything but the grace of God that has appeared. Jesus. So this salvation that's been offered by grace, the next word, can we go back to this? Thank you. Um, says it teaches us. The grace teaches us something. And that te- that word teaches, it's not just like what I'm doing now and in instructing me, like talking to you. Right? This is another way to say this is it disciples us or it parents us. It, it's more closely related to the way that they would talk about a parent raising a child than it would just be like a teacher teaching kids or teaching a student. It, it's about instruction, yes, but also encouragement and correction, discipline. Another way of looking at it would, would be this. To say relationship through grace, Jesus instructs us, encourages us, corrects us, and disciplines us to say no to the things that will become a burden to our relationship with him. And to say yes to the things that will keep us on the narrow path in which Jesus himself is leading us into more of himself. Ephesians 5, 8 through 20 talks about this as well. And it's a beautiful, it's the sanctification process. It's really beautiful. I'm going to read it for you. It says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it said, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Lord God, your Father, for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're now in the portion of his why, where Paul is reminding Titus, yes, you are justified, you are saved, salvation is for you, 
But then also reminding Titus that there is a process that we walk through called sanctification. And I was trying to think of a good analogy of what this means. And it's not perfect because it's in my brain to you. Okay? But it's like this. It's like a boarding pass. How many of you guys have ever flown on an airplane? Okay, so when you fly on an airplane, you get a boarding pass. And we're going to say Jesus is our boarding pass. Okay? Well, the boarding pass gets you through security. Right? You have to use a boarding pass to get through security. And that means you have access to the airport. And there are things in an airport that aren't everywhere else. Right? You can go to, like, duty-free shops or... You know, you can pay a really ton of lot for Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go buy souvenirs that aren't anywhere else for your child as you're trying to, like, remember that you forgot something and you're like, oh, I'm headed home. You guys don't deal with that because you're not parents, but if you ever go on a trip and then you forget something and you only have the airport to buy something, you find anything possible. But anyways, Jesus is like a boarding pass. He will get you through security and get you into heaven, right? Justified. But there's actually more that Jesus has for us. The sanctification process. The boarding pass also gets you on the airplane, right? It gets you through security, sure, but it also gets you on the airplane. And the airplane takes you places. You can be justified. You can be saved and go nowhere. Besides heaven, you can go nowhere. But you also can be saved and walk with Jesus through this sanctification process. Say no to some things, say yes to some things. And it's pretty amazing where Jesus will take you. Think about if you bought a plane ticket, you got a boarding pass, and all you did was ever live in an airport. Hello? You guys are all too young. There's a, well, Charles and I. Here we go, ready? There's this movie with Tom Hanks called The Terminal. And basically Tom Hanks lives in an airport. I don't remember why, other than it's really beautifully active. He's from some Eastern European country and he has a big accent and it's awesome. But the point of going to an airport is to get on an airplane and go somewhere. The point of salvation is not just to get saved, but it's actually to go with Jesus somewhere. To follow him, to become more like him, to say no to the things that he says no to, and yes to the things that he says. And Paul clearly listed out what, what he says no to and what he says yes to. We can see it here. No to ungodliness, worldly passions, and yes to self-controlled, upright, godly lives. There's this idea, and it's not a new idea, that once we get saved, we can live however we would like to. But that's just living in an airport. Right? When you get saved, there actually is a new way to live. It's not the new way to live that saves you, but it's because of salvation that you live a new way. Remember in Ephesians, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, 
making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So, Paul has told Titus now what to do, why to do it, and like a good teacher or a good disciple maker, he's now going to tell Titus when to do it. How many of you guys have ever got instructions like what you're supposed to do and why you're supposed to do it? And then you're like, so now? Do I do, I do it now? When does this start? Am I supposed to start this tomorrow? Or am I supposed to go home and like start, right? If you're in Naya, you read the syllabus and you're like, I know every single day that I'm supposed to be in class. Mm-hmm. No, I, I would have assumed that about you. Oh, it's gotta be true. Maybe before, maybe your first year. Freshman and I, that's what she was like. Now she's almost a real person and she's like, <sighs> syllabus, who looks at those? Okay, is it syllabi? Okay. Tell him to stop. Whatever. So Paul has told us what, what moral things we should be doing, why we should be doing those things, and now he's going to tell us when. Look at verse 13. It says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And actually, I really like the way the NIV says this. Uh, in other translations, it says, great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. But this is reassuring to us that Jesus is God. And it's a more closely translated uh, of the original text. But Paul uses a four-letter word that I think many of us hate, and that's the word wait. We are in a waiting period. I don't know if you guys knew this, but we are awaiting our blessed hope. And actually, in the story of God, there's been other periods of waiting, right? Hopefully you know the arc of God's story, but sin enters the world, and then the world is waiting. Sin enters the world, and and they can make sacrifices, and they set up laws to to sanctify themselves for moments, but they're still waiting. The people of Israel anticipated their Redeemer, their Savior, and then Jesus shows up. Jesus is walking on earth, And they miss it. A lot of them do. They miss that Jesus is their Savior, their Redeemer. But a few get it. Right? And Jesus lives his life. He dies. But he comes back. And they're like, they have to be super jacked. Right? Like, I don't know. I've never had a friend die and then come back. But if my friend died and came back, I would be like, dude! I would be so excited, ecstatic. And then the craziest thing happens. I think it's even crazier than Jesus' death. Maybe that's sacrilegious. Maybe that was heresy. But Jesus choosing to leave again, you have to think that the disciples are like just clawing him, like trying to keep him there. Because they know what life is like without him now. And so Jesus ascends into heaven and starts the second waiting. We are now in a period where Jesus is not here on this earth. And Jesus says it's better for him to go so that the Holy Spirit can come. 
but he promises that he'll be back. Here's the crazy thing. Paul is writing this to, to Titus. Paul has to wait his whole entire life to see his blessed hope. Titus reads these words, and then his waiting is the rest of his life. The, the people of Crete, the, the church that Titus is in charge of, they have to wait the rest of their life. I can hardly wait in the line at McDonald's before I become impatient. In this period of waiting, lots of things can come up and come out of us. Anxiety, impatience, fear, doubt, questions. Other things emerge in the waiting. Faith, trust, assurance, action. Here's the thing that I think Paul, in the next statement, reminds us we can never do. And that's become apathetic. Paul reminds Titus that waiting is not where you sit back and just coast. Waiting is not the moment you become comfortable and just chill out. What we get to do with Jesus in this time of waiting is really beautiful. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us, here we go, here's the things we get to do in waiting. To redeem us from all wickedness, purify for himself the people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Paul tells Titus three things that Jesus wants to do in us in this time of waiting for him to return. Redeem, purify, make us eager to do what is good. And it's not just redeem us from anything. It's to redeem us from all wickedness. Redeem means to set apart, to take out of. The redemption process that we see the, the people of Israel go through as they leave Egypt and walk through the desert, it's getting Egypt out of Israel. That's the redemption it's getting the wickedness out of them to be the people of God. Purify. Jesus wants to purify for himself a people that are his very own. I don't know how many of you struggle with this, but I feel like I get caught up in a lot of other things before I get caught up in Jesus. That my attention my focus, my time, my money, mm. it gets given and, and, and soiled to something else before it's purified to Jesus. And there's a characteristic of God that we don't often talk about. But God is a jealous God. He claims it of himself. God does not want our hearts to be divided to two, to two masters. 
God wants us to be His and His alone. And then lastly, Jesus, in this time of waiting, wants to make us eager to do what is good. It's kind of like Paul goes back to what he had been telling Titus earlier. In the list of ethical and moral things that he's trying to equip Titus to train his, his people in. And then, I love this, Titus 2.15 ends with Paul just being such a good, like, I, I think of Paul as like Titus's dad in this statement. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Paul, Paul is telling Titus right here, you can do it. Remember, these, these words that were written to Titus, these are personal, and these were, were private. This wasn't a public letter. And yet God knew and ordained for this to be a part of Scripture. This is God-breathed. And so, even though it was for Titus, it can be for us today. We get to read these things, and we get to know these things, that we can do this. That Titus has all authority. That's what Paul is saying. One of the things that historians believe, theologians believe, that Titus is actually like Paul's ambassador to Crete. That because Paul couldn't be there, he sent Titus. So he's reminding, hey, you have all authority. I have given you my authority, Titus. But Jesus said we would have all authority. As his disciples, we get to claim authority. That's pretty awesome. He also reminds Titus to not let anyone despise you. And I think we can read this and we can be like, yeah, when someone's against me, I get to hold up my own and be like, no, don't despise me. What I think we could read this is, is... Hey, Titus, live in such a way that no one can despise you. Live in such a way where you're doing such good, no one can despise you. If I could have a life motto, I would make it that. I want to live in such a way that no one can despise me. I want to do everything that I can. Sure, I'll upset people. I'll, I'll do that, but I'm gonna make I'm gonna live in such a way that if they're upset with me, that's on them. Paul is echoing the theme of Titus. You can do it. You guys as regenerate, you can do it. You have the authority, you have the ability, you have the permission to do these things. To teach these things, to encourage the people who are doing the right things. Rebuke those who are not, but encourage them to repent. But don't let anyone despise you. Live in such a way that nobody has the opportunity to despise you. Walk with Jesus in his work of sanctification. 
under the grace you've been given, have the boldness to say no to ungodliness. The yes to self-control. You can do it. But here is the biggest truth that we have to walk away with. We can do it not because of our greatness. But it's because of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You, you people, I was going to say you guys, you people can do it. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you inspired Paul to make disciples. And Paul didn't just make disciples and then leave them to flounder on their own in this life, but he equipped them and taught them and, and challenged them and, and disciplined them. And God, you're so good, we get to peer into this personal, private relationship between Paul and Titus, and we get to learn things today. I pray that we would be challenged in the way that we live. God, I, I pray that we would not be people that build walls around who gets to receive salvation, but we would see salvation for all. Walk us through the sanctification process, God, and, and let us say no to ungodliness. And let us say yes to self-control and upright lives. Give us boldness and show us that you have given us authority. But let us not lord authority over people, but let us move in grace and mercy towards people, uplifting them to, the, to receive the grace that we've received, to receive the salvation that we have received. God, I pray that you would shake up this campus with these people. The LCSE would be a different place because of regenerate. I pray that you would equip us and, and shape us and mold us into more of your likeness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Regenerate Podcast. And if you enjoyed our content, please feel free to subscribe. If you have any questions or would like to send us feedback, send us an email at regeneratelcse at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Regenerate, changing the world for Jesus, one person at a time.